Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California. This is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael. And today you are tuning in to Spell It Out, Magic, Reflections, and Shadows. It's my little show, my little segment where I get to pick a topic and run with it. Today I'm going to do a little bit of astrology, focusing on Aquarius, and continuing the theme of divination with bibliomancy. But before we get started, Mike has a few announcements. Hi everybody, and thank you for tuning into the show. Um, we love having you guys here. Um, if you can, subscribe to our show. We're getting very close to our first thousand subscribers, and once we hit a thousand, the show, in theory, will have a different algorithm through YouTube and grow much faster. So if you want to help us out, and if you're listening on the audio podcast, if you get a second when you get home, go to our channel on YouTube. It's youtube.com slash Society, and just subscribe, and it really helps us as much as you, you can do anything to help us. It's awesome. Uh, we've got some great shows coming up um, in this month. We have next week our sort of Valentine's Love Magic show with Madame Zulema. So we're always fun to have her. Um, then we're going to follow that with Juan Milo Duquette, and he'll be talking about the um, tarot deck that was created by Alistair Crowley, the Thoth Tarot. And he's an expert on that, so that should be great. And then we have um, Dan Moore coming on at the end of the month to talk about alchemy. So all kinds of magical topics coming up, and that's going to be really fun for all you esoteric people out there. Um, and then we're planning on shows for March and April already, so we're going to have some really great guests in, in the next few months coming up after that. So stay tuned and get all the information on our website, SixthSenseSociety.com, S-I-X-T-H, all spelled out. Um, and while you're there, if you can, buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi. It helps us cover some of our costs. And if you can't afford to do that, you're still more than welcome. We, we, this is a passion project for us, for sure, and we love doing the show. So I'm not going to take up too much of your time, and I'm going to kick it back to Krista. So take it away, Krista. Thanks, Michael. And I'm going to start off with a little bit of astrology, sort of maybe some general observations more than something very specific. Uh, many of you that love astrology and follow it will notice there are a lot of planets in the sign of Aquarius right now. There's the Sun, Venus, Mercury, which is also retrograde, Jupiter, Saturn, and uh, the Moon will be on February 11th. The new Moon will be in Aquarius. And then also the asteroid Pallas is in the sign of Aquarius. So I, I wanted to just mention a few general thoughts about having that much energy and in the sign of Aquarius. The first thing I thought about was the idea that although we're not in the age of Aquarius, because of the preponderance of so much of the energy, you could probably get a taste of what it's going to be like a little bit energetically in the age of Aquarius by simply notice, noticing how you react to it personally and noticing some of the themes that will be highlighted during this period. Now, some of the planets like Jupiter and Saturn will be in Aquarius for a while, and some will move out more quickly. Uh, so the thing that I like about Aquarius is it's all about really being yourself, 
Uh, it can be very eccentric and innovative. Uh, it's associated with the genius and the maverick. Uh, and Aquarian people generally can't afford to care too much what people think about them. And so they will often maybe initially not get along with their family if their family doesn't have the Aquarius energy. And I was, uh, by chance, I was listening to, there's a great YouTube channel called the Academy of Ideas. And on this um, video, it was about not caring so much what people think about you uh, because that can lead to mental illness. And evidently, in the Greek times, some of the philosophers had this practice where they would um, try to get people to scorn them so that they got used to the idea of being scorned or ridiculed instead of like, you know, avoiding it in order that they can develop the character of who they really are. So that was really spoke to my Aquarius rising that, you know, at some point we can't care too much about what people think or we're not going to become our own unique original self, which is connected in my mind, certainly to the Aquarian energy. So be yourself. Uh, this is a good time to really check in with yourself energetically and seeing if you're doing the things that you really just want to do that are connected to who you are. It doesn't matter if people like it or not, in a sense. Uh, obviously, I'm not <laughs> supporting like violent things, but uh, just that idea of being authentic and truthful. The other thing I wanted to bring up was that um, Aquarius... In the United States chart, uh, there is a moon, the moon in the natal chart, the one I use, is connected to, is, is in the sign of Aquarius. And it's in the third house if you use the Placidus house system, which I use. So that'll be interesting to see what, what sort of goes on. It, it sort of goes through the, the second and into the, the beginning of the third house, all these Aquarian planets and uh, the moon and the sun at some point. And that's just a lot of energy. So I think it kind of highlights those themes of the second and third house. The second house being about our values and money and the third house communication and also our thought processes and things like that, our neighbors. So it, it'll be, I think, interesting in the news <laughs> with all this Aquarius energy. And the other thing I wanted to mention was that um, another thing I noticed today was that uh, in the news on Thursday, February 11th, there's a new moon in Aquarius, as I said. And everyone is always saying how the new moon is about starting something new. And obviously, you can't start something new every month. But what happened today was I, I saw by chance that the Biden administration on that day is sending out 1 million vaccines to 6,500 pharmacies on the new moon. So it's like a new development within a long, longer process. So maybe thinking about the new moon in that way might be more helpful sometimes than just that general view of, oh, you know, new moons, new beginnings. So that, like I said, you can't do something new every month and be effective in life. Uh, so that's generally what I wanted to say about the, um, oh, one other thing I wanted to mention about the United States chart is I think there's a clash between the old order and the new order, according to that concept of the Pisces age, leaving us eventually and the Aquarian age. And I think that that's what's going on a lot, on a lot of times. And also, uh, I think some of this rugged individualism is ac actually connected to the Chiron and Aries in the United States chart in the fourth house, the wounds there uh, in our foundation, in our psychological foundation, in the foundation of the country that we will need to address at some point. 
I also, um, when I went to pick the theme today, I did notice that it is um, basically in bulk or also candle mass and Groundhog's Day. So um, by chance, I, I had already picked the theme of divination. Uh, it's going to be bibliomancy. And uh, those of you that know St. Bridget, uh, also called, um, uh, I think it's pronounced Brige in the Irish tradition, uh, that she is associated with writing and poetry as one of her attributes. So I thought that was really appropriate. And you'll even see a little bit more why it's even more appropriate when I talk about some of the specific ways bibliomancy is used in certain cultures. So uh, I wanted to mention that because many of you practice the pagan holidays or the witch, witch holidays. It's a fire festival. It's uh, one of four fire festivals. So even just lighting a candle is appropriate today. Um, so I, I hope you all enjoy the celebration, those of you that do celebrate it. Um, so rather than spend more time on the astrology, I did want to jump right into my theme uh, of bibliomancy. And before we start, I found a, a nice short quote uh, by Z Budapest in Summoning the Fates, the book that she wrote. She says about divination that it was given to us by the fates to keep us from losing hope. I thought that was really nice because there are, I think there's forms of divination in the public um, eye that I think doesn't do that. I think there are people that prey on people's fears too much and they have that kind of doom and gloom energy which is not to say one should have a, a Pollyanna attitude about divination. But I, I like that, that idea of divination giving us hope. And so I wanted to start that off. And, and some of you that watched my scrying episode know that I'm going to be focusing on different forms of divination this year, which I personally am very excited about because there's some very unusual ones I'm going to talk about too later on. But let's get started with bibliomancy. And basically, it's, it's pretty well known. A lot of people know it and use it. It's a form in which you basically have a book and you open it randomly. With your eyes closed, you pick a passage. Now, in tradition, it was usually a sacred book of some kind that was used. In the Greek time um, or classical time, they used the Iliad and the Odyssey. And then the Middle Ages, Virgil's um, Enid. Christians obviously use the Bible, which when you think about it, is kind of unusual <laughs> because of uh, the fact that, you know, there's certain periods where they don't really uh, uh, allow divination and they're against it. And then um, the Islamic uh, culture uses the Quran and interesting enough, the poet Hafiz, who's very, very, very important to many of them as a, a teacher and someone they really admire. So those are some of the books that have been used. You could probably use any kind of sacred text. Uh, you know, I, I have, and we'll talk about this, there's a, there's a playful element to bibliomancy, but there's also, as you're going to see, a very serious element to it, its use, actually. So my suggestion is that you, if you do use a non-sacred text, maybe use something that has some possibility of giving you some advice because like using a novel may or may not really work that easily. You're going to have to interpret it, but you could use a, uh, a book of quotes that might be really good. I've done that. 
And it's kind of fun to do sometimes with a friend. I, I like that as well. But getting back a little to the, the history of, of bibliomancy, um, in 465 AD, the Council of Vons pro prohibited it. And then it was also prohibited 100 years after that. So it, it, it definitely had its people that didn't want people to, to use it. I also forgot to mention that um, it's also the Torah is sometimes used, and there's also a Kabbalistic method of using bibliomancy, evidently. And we'll talk about that a little later with an example. So, but one of the, the twisted things I, I found out studying about bibliomancy was that during the witch hunts, uh, a person accused of witchcraft was weighed against the, the town's big, it was some sort of a great Bible that, that was bigger than a normal Bible. And if you weighed less than the Bible, then you were innocent. And I did try to find out about the weight, but I could not. But I can't imagine that most people weighed less than the Bible, even though it was a big Bible. So again, that was a fairly twisted way of, of sort of using bibliomancy. So as I said before, you can you can pick, uh, use a book that is, let's talk about a little bit about the method. So you can use the sacred text, you can use the Bible, uh, you can basically... Uh, traditionally, you would stand up the book on its spine and then just let it sort of uh, fold open. And then you would close your eyes and you use your finger. And some people do a little figure eight to sort of pick the passage and make it a little more fancy. But some books, let's say if, if it's a well-used book, then it might open at certain pages naturally. So you don't want to necessarily do it that way. What you could do is you can throw a dice and then you can have the page that you're supposed to open open by dice and doing that. Um, another really fun way to do bibliomancy is at a library, and you can pick a library book and open it up. And there's a, actually a famous story about that, which I'll share a little bit later on. And then anyone that works in a bookstore knows about bibliomancy, because that's probably where I practiced it the most when I was working um, at a couple of bookstores. And we used to pick a book up and use it. And there is a form where if a book falls off a shelf on its own, you're not just supposed to look at the title of the book, but you're supposed to actually then pick a passage from the book. So a lot of people that I uh, have worked with, especially in pagan and metaphysical bookstores, they do notice it when the book falls off the shelf, but I, I never did see them actually using it for bibliomancy. So that's an extra thing you can do. If you're a book clerk, you may enjoy um, using it that way. So the, there was a couple of, of methods I did want to mention uh, that were specific to a culture. And the one that I, I mentioned earlier that Hafiz, is used, who's a, a poet, he's used um, in Turkey and Iran a lot and has been since his death. And it's, uh, I found an article on BBC.com called Iran's Fascinating Way to Tell Fortunes uh, by Joab Burkrad. And Basically, um, this tradition involves using his book of poetries, and you are supposed to do um, ask a question, but you don't tell anyone. I suppose you don't ask it. You're supposed to have pose a question, and you don't tell anyone else before you actually pick the poem from the book. It's often practiced on the Iranian New Year, or winter solstice is also a good time to practice it. And one of the, the interesting uh, things in the article was evidently there are people that train these little lovebirds to pick the, the poem for you in the street so that you can have the bird picking the poem. And I, I did like that. I, I'm assuming no bird has been harmed to do that. It looked pretty innocent to me. So I thought that was really, really charming. And I really liked that for being connected to today because of St. Bridget 
um, being associated with poets. And tonight, if you if you want to get a message, I think this would be a great time to use a book of poetry in general. Uh, though I think Hafiz would be perfect. He wrote a lot about love and and just incredible poetry and has influenced many, many uh, people and many poets and is very revered by many people. So I would say if you you can get his book, that would be great. Or maybe Emily Dickinson, I thought might be really a fun one to use. Uh, so there was another uh, method too that I found out about that was really uh, interesting. And it was basically uh, called, let me see where it is here. Uh, it's using this book called the Falnama, and basically it's a mix of all these different texts and their stories and religious uh, fables, and next to it is there's this uh, illumination, a beautiful illumination, and this one you just let the, the book fall open, and you look at both the illustration and the text. Now, it's going to be a lot more difficult to decipher too but this is a practice that's been going on as well uh, and I thought that was and there's some really beautiful examples if you go on the internet of what this book looks like overall so that's a little bit about the different types of um, bibliomancy I would also like to share a couple if I have time I'll share the one story for sure and one of the a popular story of someone that used bibliomancy successfully and actually powerfully was connected to, um, where did it go here? Sorry about that. Robert Browning and Elizabeth Barrett. And so Robert Browning was not married to Elizabeth Barrett at the time. They're both well-known poets and also well-known lovers in a sense uh, and what the, the, the poems they wrote for each other. And so he went to, I think, I'm not sure if it was at a library, but anyway, he, he tried bibliomancy deliberately to inquire about the fate of his attraction to this woman, Elizabeth Barrett. And uh, evidently, he was disappointed because the book he chose randomly was this Italian grammar book. So then he did the whole bibliomancy thing. He opened it up and closed his eyes. And the passage he picked was amazing. And the reason we know about this is because he wrote uh, this to Elizabeth Barrett in a, a letter, so it's documented. And the passage was, if we love in the other world as we do in this, I shall love thee to eternity. And they are renowned for their love and for writing about their love and also to wonderful poets. So that one really worked out well for Robert Browning. <laughs> so do you have a, a comment or question, Michael? Yeah, one, one of my favorite stories, very similar to that, was uh, involving the former Beatle, George Harrison. And I don't I think we've talked about this one before between you and I. And he was trying to write music and he had a little bit of a creative block and he didn't have any real idea for a song. And so he, he did some bibliomancy. He got a book and he flipped it open randomly and stuck his finger in and it landed on the words gently weeping. And, and so that gave him the inspiration for, you know, Why My Guitar Gently Weeps, which became one of his, you know, most significant songs. Wow, I totally forgot about that. That's such a great story. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. It's What's nice about bibliomancy is anyone can do it, and it can be really interesting what happens, you know, just like in those two stories. There's probably many, many more stories. Um, there's one I wanted to quickly mention before I go on to the spell for today, and th this one was a really serious one, and it was basically, um, this is the one connected to the Kabbalah and a rabbi, and it was... Um, in the 1950s, and this was also documented, I found it in an article called Bibliomancy and the Sacred Lottery of the Vilna 
Gayan by Shraga Baron in tabletmag.com. And I'm going to put all these links in underneath the YouTube. And basically, uh, it was in um, 1950s, there, was, uh, there were these fighters, Israeli fighters that were killed during the Israeli War of Independence. There are 35 of them. And then somehow the bodies, 12 of them, got sort of mixed up and they didn't know who was who. And then they couldn't really, you know, properly um, bury them in a sense. And so they actually called in a rabbi, Rabbi Levin, and he did a form of Kabbalistic bibliomancy in front of everybody. And basically using the Bible, found the names associated with the with the bodies. And evidently it was correct somehow. I'm not sure how they proved it, that they didn't quite say that. But I was really kind of impressed that they would actually do that and they would publicize it. So Kabbalistic rabbis, they have some tricks up their sleeve. <laughs> That's how, you know, the more you know about them, they have a lot more mystical side than a lot of people realize. So that's a little bit about bibliomancy. I hope you try it. It's really a lot of fun. Um, if you do, keep a little record of it. I think it's fun to write it down. Sometimes I've done it and it hasn't really made sense, so don't worry about it if it doesn't. But And then, like I said, it can be fun to do it with a friend. I used to do it with uh, my friend Julie at work, and we had a great time doing it. So um, as part of the show, I, I like to share little spells, particularly ones that I have used, uh, or at least I think... I trust the person that's used it. And most of us, if you look into your childhood, you probably have some magic somewhere that came through one of your ancestors. So this particular spell, I really find very simple and useful. My father taught me, and I keep meaning to ask him where he got it from because we we weren't a religious family. Uh, my father was brought up Jewish, but he didn't uh, practice it. And my mother was brought up Catholic, and she didn't practice it. We weren't, we weren't brought up anything religious or metaphysical. Though I think probably my father might have been reading Casey by then, but even then I don't remember because he taught me this when I was quite young. And it's basically based on the concept of the magic circle. And so obviously the magic circle is used in many ways in magic, literally, you know, you're putting yourself in a circle to protect yourself. There's the concept of the circle being about cycles and the cycles of life. It's a very powerful and protective symbol. It is also part of the um, the glyph of the, su the sun in your chart. It's a circle with a point in the middle of it. So it can represent the self in a sense. So what he taught me was that if I wanted something in my life, if I had something I desired to write it on a piece of paper and draw a circle around it, and that was it. And then you fold it up and you put it somewhere and you completely forget about it. You don't think about it. You just put it away and that's that. And so I did try this when I was searching for a career path. I, I was in my 20s. I worked as a secretary and I wrote on the side as a poet. And I just didn't have a career path at all in my early 30s. And so what I did was I went ahead and put different attributes I wanted my you know, career to include. What are the things that I wanted to be like? I, I remember, for instance, I put in that I wanted to work a lot with women and that I wanted to, uh, you know, be my own boss, not have someone telling me all the time what to do because I was a little tired of that. So I, I did that and I put it away. And sure enough, um, along came this possibility of being a tarot card reader probably several years later. And to be honest, I had really forgotten about the piece of paper. 
And then uh, I was going through some drawers and maybe I was cleaning out and that's when I found the piece of paper. And when I looked at it, it had pretty much the job of being a tarot card reader, had pretty much everything I wanted it to include. And, you know, I thought, well, I probably would have included some other things too when I think about it, but it, it really worked. And I, I think what worked about it was the fact that instead of focusing on a career, I focused on what I want the career to include. And I, I tell people if I was a career guidance person, especially nowadays, because there's so many cool jobs out there that you might not even know exist, is to really look at the kinds of things you want your career to include. And, and certainly some people have a very specific um, area of interest, but even within that area, let's say I want to be in the healthcare industry, there's probably jobs there that you don't even know exist that might work with all of your talents. So I highly recommend that um, concept. And I think that, I, I think there's also, uh, I think Laura Day has a whole book that's called something to do with the magic circle, but I think it's a different sort of take on the whole thing, but it's a very powerful symbol and I think that uh, you can do it with everything. You can try maybe something, you know, I would say maybe start off with something easy if you want to test it and see if it works and maybe something you, you want that's uh, materialistic. And in fact, sometimes if you haven't been used to asking for things that you want magically, it's good to start with little things. Uh, I think that that just gives you more confidence and it can also maybe be a little bit easier uh, there are different views about whether or not it takes more energy to manifest something more complex uh, or more simple. And my view is that the more complex it is, the more parts it has, then I think it can take more times, particularly if you are going to be working, let's say, with other people. So if I was going to be a community leader, and that way, you know, there is that element of divine time and letting go of when that would be. So that's one reason why it might be good if you've never done something like this to start with something simple and that you can see if it works. And uh, the trick though is, um, I don't know how to tell you to really let it go because I don't even know how I did that at the time. I, I think I think I was just experimenting and maybe I didn't think it would work or I was just, so let's just see if this will work. I wasn't really into magic per se. I just was doing something my father had taught me. So don't give up, but keep trying it and, and do it more than once. But if you do find that you're thinking about it too much, maybe there's a different method for you overall. But it's a very, very effective and simple technique, which a lot of spells are quite simple. And then you can make them more complicated by ritual and elaboration, which is a, a good thing to do if you like that kind of thing. But we've talked about this before on magic shows that all of this is to help put you into a certain state, a certain magical mental state, and you don't necessarily need it. Uh, I will say that that aligning with the cosmo, cosmos like can be quite useful. So in other words, if you try to align certain things and do certain things timed, but again, sometimes you can approach that even more intuitively if you already trust your intuition, you don't necessarily have to know exactly what's going on in the cosmos. But certainly, I will at times, now that I know more magic, I will certainly uh, look up what's going on and, and sort of see what's going on. But I also still like to wing it. And that's just my, my style in general. I've, I've always been a little bit like that. It's my going back to the original uh, uh, beginning of the show with the sign of Aquarius. I have Aquarius rising. 
And uh, as I've gotten older, especially, I have found that energy has been really influencing me a lot. So that could be part of it too. Uh, so that's going to be it about the spell. Uh, last little thing I would like to say about the bibliomancy. I sort of went over things really quickly. Um, there's, uh, as I said before, there's sort of different views whether or not you should ask your question out loud or, or not ask it. And I think that just like many things in magic, I think do what's comfortable for you because I have found it sometimes very powerful to speak out loud what I want. And again, then letting it go and speaking it, uh, I don't know if I've done it by myself, but I, I've said some things to Michael and maybe because we have a, 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 rela a relationship that supports magic, it, it seemed to enhance it a little bit. So you could probably try with bibliomancy. I just wanted to sort of emphasize, you could try both ways of, of asking your question or, or not, but usually there is a question. And by the way, um, reading about the different way people use bibliomancy, any question is possible including if your team's going to win or not. So, so don't be shy about asking mundane questions or very profound questions and have a lot of fun with it. You know, it's, it's divination does, uh, is more effective to me when there's an element of play in it as well. Don't, don't be afraid of it. So I hope that you will go off and, and take this to heart and enjoy what we just talked about and try it yourself if you don't already use bibliomancy. Today is a good time to do it, I think. And I really appreciate your support. So please like us and share us and subscribe to us. And I look forward to journeying more with you as we continue to explore the esoteric and the obscure together. Have a great week.